Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome back to the Ascent Podcast. My name is Brian, and I'll be your guide as we continue to work our way towards self-excellence. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, part two of a session we did a few weeks ago, and this is an equitable and fulfilling culture. And really where I want to start with that is to kind of start at the beginning and kind of go back a little bit and share a little bit about our perspectives on what we were talking about specifically when we say culture, because obviously that word can be used to represent several different things. Uh, so I'm going to toss it to Vince. He's going to share a little bit about when we say culture, what we're talking about, especially mm -hmm. for our session today, but then also in a more general and global sense of culture and how some of the things we are going to speak to will apply specifically to corporate or business type cultures and others are going to speak more to a more global, more universal culture. So Vince, how are you this morning? And how about you share a little bit about uh, just culture in general and what we're looking at? Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. So maybe a little bit back background before I start uh, my own personal journey around defining culture and really understanding not only my own culture and where I come from, but also segmenting the personal life culture, the work life culture, and everything underneath the sun has been a really interesting journey for me. Mm -hmm. You know, as we are defined by our ethnic culture and our cultural culture of how we grow up, and we start to identify all the different values to which each of those cultures hold. Um, then, you know, it, it's really then about looking at does your cultures align up and have a consistent theme and journey and whatnot. And that's really been a lot of how I've been defining what culture is to me. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's a lot of different types of ways of looking at it for many different types of individuals. And I believe culture has been changing quite a bit. And when you look at it, as we talked a little bit about in the last session on education and how education plays a major role in culture. Mm -hmm. And then we look at, you know, what are the subcultures underneath that? We, we looked at, you know, how different industries, such as the technology industry has a very defined culture, um, even down to, you know, looking at, um, you know, food and beverage or, you know, real estate or law. And, you know, it's it's when we can look in, inside us and, and kind of that, have that whole uh, reflective part of us is really where we kind of see, you know, are we living our most equitable and fulfilling life as an overall theme? I think we all agree. Everyone on this on this podcast are you know kind of lifelong learners, so we're always mm -hmm. looking at how to improve and just have that that flow feeling of alignment. So, yeah, culture culture is different to all of us, and the more we can better understand, you know, where we want to go, where we've come from, and we want to be, that's really important. Agreed, 100%. So I want to uh, bring Erica into this because obviously, Erica, we've talked several times. And we've had some different discussions. And culturally for you, I would think one of the things is obviously 
having a essentially third generation business and what the culture has been that's been established around that and maybe how that's changed a little bit over the years. Can you share a little bit about just what that journey's been like and how you've gone about establishing the culture as it is today versus possibly how it was uh, in past generations within your organization? Sure, certainly. One of the changes has been that um, as opposed to my great-grandfather's companies, the women in our family and the women who are unrelated to us in the company actually play a larger role in, um, in addition to being supportive uh, cast members of the whole ensemble. We're actually heavily involved in the decision-making. That's um, And we're, we're heard. We are heard and brought to the table to engage, unlike two generations ago in which the women in our family had played more of a supporting role. So that's one of the ways in which the cultures changed. Um, my grandfathers, great-grandfathers were a, a bit different than my father, who eventually had evolved to um, uh, in raising me. I guess that was one of the effects of it, one of the causes of it. He actually involved, evolved to where he really wanted to engage me into playing an, uh, a role. Uh, in the business with him. So the culture, even in family businesses, it really changes as the times change, the people change, they become better educated in certain uh, affairs, and maybe they're sincerely more interested in what other people have to say than uh, people were a few generations ago. So even family businesses, everything just really evolves as time passes. Most of the time for the better, you know, most of right, the time for right. the better. And, and, I, and I could see that. So uh, would you say that because, as you said, the, the, as things transitioned over the generations, the woman's voice was more valued and, and brought into the, um, you know, the decision making and the direction of the company and those types of things. How has that impacted um, how you operate day to day? Has it been, has it changed your focus? Has it changed how you uh, interact with clients, just what, what has that been like? It really, the way that it's changed is that I've realized that you have to have some type of cutoff period because you still have to have a life. You don't want to necessarily copy the way men uh, had worked a few generations ago by working yourself to the bone and not really enjoying your family life, not really enjoying non-business related activities after work. Um, the, it has changed in that I've changed in that way, and that I realized that there's more to life than just working from you know six a.m. to ten p.m. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it just changes. Just you learn. learn. You learn. You, you absolutely learn. Yeah, that's very true. And you know, that's one of the things that is on our list that we want to cover today is to really talk about uh, work life. And a lot of people say balance, and I, I choose to say harmony. Uh, only because, you know, balance to me implies there's going to be this 50-50 balance, which mm -hmm. you never will achieve, right? So yeah. trying to find some type of harmony between your work life and your personal life and, 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 and making sure that that is a priority for yourself, I think is an important thing. So it's good to hear you say that, Erica, that it's something you have come to realize is very important. The work is important. Yes. Running a business. Yes, you are. You know, as they say, when you are in charge, the buck stops with you. But mm -hmm. you need to pull back a little bit. I think sometimes where that buck stops, 
so that you can have uh, some balance or harmony within your life on, on both sides of the fence. Uh, Vince, I saw some smiles from you, so I, I think you have something you'd like to share on that. Yeah, there's a really interesting quote by the famous management consultant, Peter Drucker, who stated, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And when I when I hear that, I think of that, I think of the role culture plays in all aspects of almost pretty much everything. You know, it comes down to, as Eric was saying, the, the, the power control. Uh, it comes down to, you know, all the different types of structure we use. When we talk about transparency, when we talk about building an inclusive work-life culture or even a, a home-life culture too, when we talk about all the different stories that we have, you know, growing up with our, our ancestors and then what are the struggles they've gone through, what are the stories and challenges they've had to, to um, really excel through, and then what are the rituals and, and routines and habits that we keep today is all indicative of what a culture is, whether it's you know, progressive or healthy or not. So it's it's really fascinating. Even, even actually, even down to the symbols that we use, it's it's really interesting to see how those things that we, we incorporate and have been told to us from our past generations, and then we tell on our kids and that, you know, those, that's the piece that for me as a parent too, I really want to help define not only for myself, but also for, you know, future generations to come because it's it's so important. It's probably the most important thing we can do. Mm-hmm. Agreed, 100%. So Chris, I want to ask you a couple of questions too, because obviously coming from the food and beverage and restaurateur industry, um, a very different culture that's there uh, because most times, not always, so many times you're dealing with uh, younger people, uh, sometimes college students, those type things. So from establishing a culture and, and, and also as the you know person running the show, trying to guide them and make sure that things get done properly in the business, but then also have some own some of your own work-life balance. What have been some of the things you have had to do and some of your experiences within that industry to try to m- keep things running smoothly and also balanced? Like I said, I'm, I'm a small business entrepreneur, so we're dealing with a small group of people, typically anywhere from one to ten. Um, and the idea is um, to share and really promote um, the ideas, beliefs, values and knowledge as well as the goals of the particular organization. In my case, we're, you know, you're, you're talking about, you know, I've obviously been on both sides of the fence as far as from an entrepreneurial standpoint. But if you're talking about the restaurant business, uh, then we're talking about a set of ideas um, around a brand, you know, typically around the brand. And then it's just, you know, you know, those type of environments are customer, customer um, service centric. So, the idea that we want to be very uniformed in nature, you know, even down to how we address our customers, um, you know, to where we're all, so you're getting, you're you're getting the same message delivered over and over and over, you know, almost to a repetitive nature um, in good and in bad, because a lot of times, you know, where it really comes into play is when you have, you know, you have customer issues, uh, customer dissatisfaction, 
uh, customer, you know, sometimes customers want more than they probably have, probably more than they should be asking for, but you, you know, the nature of that beast, mm -hmm. uh, but really that we stay, um, that we stay in, in, in our scripts, um, and we stay in our, you know, our processes and the things that, you know, as you know, our deliverable, let's call them our deliverables, you know, what we're trying to deliver because it's really what we're trying to deliver is a customer experience. So that goes along with the food. So you're not, it's not just the food. It's the, you know, it's the over, especially today, it's mm -hmm. the overall experience. And, um, you know, customers come in and they, they've got their checklist of things that, that they think they're looking for, or they think that should, you know, we should be operating a certain way. And sometimes there is a clash. Um, and I say clash, like not like it's explosive, but it can be explosive. But the reality is, is sometimes it's an educational, more often than not, it's an educational process. So we're educating customers because they'll use their previous experience in, in something, you know, and eating out someplace that's totally, you know, obviously there's so many different genres of food, but they'll come in from, say it's in the Mexican, like I was in health food. So you, somebody comes in from, the a Mexican food experience or say an Italian food experience. So it's can be marketably different. Um, so just, you know, getting folks to kind of settle in to, to have a great experience. Cause that's, a, that's the overarching goal is to have a, a, to create this excellent experience, even in, you know, fine dining or fast casual or even takeout. So mm -hmm. just being able to do all those things and be able to, to, um, be able to you know, have your staff to be able to identify the uh, potential um, stumbling blocks that you may have uh, in the experience. Uh, and, in, and even beyond that, I think a lot of times I've experienced over the years, it's not the general service that um, the staff struggles with, it's some of the variables. So mm -hmm. when you run into this situation where you've got a customer, he's maybe not, he's not the most happy customer and, um, I'm sure we've all learned along the way that um, people don't know how, when they're under quote unquote duress, they a lot of times default on their social graces and how mm -hmm. to communicate their displeasure. Um, and that's, that's the part that that's where the real, I think where the real challenge lies because you're really trying to, you know, you're trying to keep the situation contained and, you know, in the box, so to speak. Um, and I mean, I've watched a, a gazillion videos and, you know, obviously you've got a ton of friends in, you know, in different industries and you've had those conversations about an, un, un, you know, an unruly customer. I mean, that's not what we're really talking about today, but um, that is kind of, you know, how that, you know, how that's born. And that's the whole idea is that you don't, you know, we don't have these type of situations. Are we, are we able to at least, you know, maintain them and get them, you know, get them back in line and get the experience back on back on track got it that makes sense that makes perfect sense so i want to transition a little bit and uh i'll take this to to vince because you know we we've talked a little bit about this and chris you brought up something in your comments there about following your process and sticking to your processes you know making sure people understand what your processes are which is very important because that's kind of where the rubber meets the road and that gives you a framework of what needs to happen but uh vince and we've talked about how and especially in certain cultures today, the frameworks have become non-traditional, right? The the how think companies are structured, 
what the processes and procedures that they use or really have morphed into a lot of non-traditional ways of how that's happening. So even just the organizational structure of who's in charge, who makes the decisions, how decisions get made have shifted quite a bit. Uh, and how about, how about you share a little bit about, you know, your experience, and I know some of the, is some of the area that you work with companies on is getting them structured properly from day one so that they can operate in a certain way and how that's maybe shifted in, in the space you work in. Well, there's so much to say on this particular topic. You know, one of the things that I think about when I walk into a new culture, and you said something where you said um, non-traditional, and I think that's just such a, a, a growing shift in mindset. And a um, little side tangent, but relevant to culture, you know, I, I just got back from Burning Man, and there's some really interesting research on Burning Man as what's called a temporary autonomous zone. Mm-hmm. And there's, uh, it's, it's, it's looking at culture in particular to how, how can, how might we be able to get, you know, 70, 80,000 people to build, come together and work cohesively, collaboratively, uh, inclusive and achieve uh, you know a similar outcome in, in terms of everyone feeling they have not only ownership but also feeling they have equity so that as these 10 principles of burning man they leave the location either as good or better than they actually found it and that's something that to me when we think about our own values when we think about you know what is a sustainable resilient culture and how can we ensure that this organization, culture, group of individuals maintains itself for, I guess, a question of perpetuity, um, or you know, it, it it specifically meets its own task and achieves its accomplishment, and then we're okay with letting it, you know, kind of evolve and change and or go away. Mm. So, you know, as a organization kind of really looks inward and. I think all too often we we Google values and we think about these things and we, you know, we do our different uh, prioritization of what keywords uh, resonate with us. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's definitely something that's really fascinating to look at because I think, does it truly represent what is the ethos and what is it that the founding you know, members want to accomplish and achieve. And then if that's not aligned, that's really where you start to see this, this divergence, this, this kind of different path where, you know, the founders, the leadership are not living their most truest values. And that's when dissent comes in. That's when, um, you know, this whole world around, you know, uh, we can call it jealousy, but it's more so just this lack of distrust or mistrust. Mm-hmm. And that to me is really, really fascinating because, you know, at the end of the day, the individuals you hire on, the individuals you bring into your organization, especially as, as for smaller businesses like Chris was mentioning, they will define and they will evolve and they will change the culture of the organization. So it's, you know, there's, what is it? What's the age old saying, you know, uh, uh, hire slow, fire fast. Mm. And, you know, when you look at the industry to which is food and beverage, that's really interesting to see because 
when you look at food and beverage or a lot of these churn and burn businesses, you know, I, I would go on a limb and say a lot of that culture that's been traditionally defined is pretty toxic. Mm-hmm. And just identifying what a toxic culture is, is just, you know, it's a starting point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. So, and I'm glad you brought that in about toxic culture, because that's kind of one of the things I wanted to mention with that too, is two pieces. One, you mentioned the ethos of an organization. And uh, I think it's one thing to have an ethos, which I think is important, you know, what, what your missions and visions and you know how engaged you want your organization to be in the community and many things like that. But you say it, you stick it on the wall, or it's posted on you know the top of your web page or whatever it is. But are you actually living your ethos? And is are your actions aligning with the words that you've chosen? So I think that's another important piece of it that companies to look at from a culture standpoint is a identifying the culture and establishing it is one thing, but living it. And as you said, in perpetuity, right, the the goal of it is not to live it for a year and then let it fall off the edge of a cliff. It is to have it structured in a way so it is something that can be carried forward on and on and on. And things change. I mean, obviously, COVID shifted a lot of our lives and the world and our perspectives on different things. So you might have to revisit what your ethos is and, and, and what traditionally or non-traditional things you have within your organization based on how things in the world in general may shift. So I think that's another piece of it that companies maybe fall down on. They have a certain vision or mission that they want, but it might need to get revised and revisited so often and making sure that that's part of as Chris used the term, part of your processes from a leadership standpoint. I think that's important. Uh, any any other thoughts or comments just talking about non-traditional business or non-traditional organizational structures? Um, on that point, I agree with you all. Making sure that we bring in people who believe um, in our ideal, believe in what we say our culture is, so that even when we as uh, leaders fall short or have an off day that we surround ourselves with people who will hold us accountable and remind the group of exactly why we're there and what we're working towards. Um, and then sometimes the the organization that we create and that we love so much because we've added all the all of these awesome people, it the organization sometimes grows way beyond the original founders. And I think that's a time when people should realize that it's time to make sure we have successors who can really take an organization to the next level, even if that means that we are in some ways pushed out of a particular role. Um, Mm -hmm. When we actually create something that we love and it starts to take root and grow, sometimes the people who are the founders, sometimes those ancestors really aren't the people to take a company to that next level because the next generation is well prepared and they have unique ideas to fit the culture of that time. So, um, absolutely. And Vince, I see your your smile, so I know you got to jump in. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know, Eric, I'm I'm really curious. You know, was your family law practice your business? You know, coming back to I guess your is it your grandfather that started it? And um, my two grandfathers actually had farms. 
and okay. um, at a, a barbecue restaurant slash little entertainment center. Yeah. And then and, um, and my other grandparents, they were, they had um, like service industries, like um, a tailor and then also a barbershop. Would you say that their culture was very supportive of, you know, hey, the next generation is going to take over, or I'm doing all this to support your involvement and openly saying, you know, one day you, this will all be yours or you'll take this on? Because I feel like some of the best mentors that I've had in my in my history have been folks that have kind of really I could say, you know, swallow their ego and their pride and, you know, would say, hey, it's not about me, it's about you. And how can I make you, you know, evolve and be the best? And and really, it's 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 really kind of putting in there those values of like, I don't have the right necessarily the best way. It was it was appropriate based on what I had to go through in my own challenges and et cetera. But, you know, hopefully you instill those core values and then they will make the decision, whichever the decision is good or bad, and you'll learn from it. You know, do you, do you feel like your family business has kind of evolved that and kind of given you, because one of the things you mentioned in the beginning was, you know, this really power dynamic of control of allowing, you know, you um, and really pulling out or, or reducing the whole gender inequalities piece. Mm -hmm. they, they did. They wanted me to go and explore. They, they gave all of the all of his kids an opportunity to see what we particularly enjoyed because I think they made mm -hmm. so many different sacrifices that they were of the mindset we've worked so hard and been through so much that we really want you to accomplish your dreams. Many of the women, for example, my grandmothers were the smartest women I know. And if they were born in this day and age, they one of them probably would have been a doctor. Another one could have been easily a uh, president or vice president of some corp, uh, major corporation, large corporation, um, easily. But they just did not have those opportunities. So I think they all were of the mindset that we've made so many sacrifices. See what you enjoy that could make a living. Now, they weren't so evolved as some of us that, oh, if you want to be a musician, go for it. Of course, they wanted, they were more traditional in that. They were like, okay, if you want to be a CPA or you want to be a nurse, or you want to be, you know, a uh, engineer, you know, go for it. Um, but they definitely didn't force us to go into their fields. They were, they were very open-minded that way. They were, mm -hmm. they wouldn't have minded if somebody took over the farms and things like that, but they didn't, they didn't insist. Interesting. Uh, that's great insight to just, especially from the standpoint of just thinking about generationally, um, the opportunity wasn't there. It, it wasn't so much that they didn't have the skills or the knowledge or the abilities. It's just that the opportunity places to apply those things was not there culturally, what was acceptable, what, what the traditions were at that, at that particular time. And obviously the Pandora's box is totally open now. I mean, especially when you look at millennials and, you know, Gen Z and then, uh, you know, Vinny's kids are technically a right. So we've gone back to the beginning and, how things have shifted, not only from opportunity, but where the opportunities are. Uh, it, a lot of the opportunities are actually not within an organization. It's doing your own thing. And so it's even shifted, you know, in, in a whole different direction. And I think that's an important piece of it. Um, 
any final thoughts on that before I transition? Because I do want to start to talk a little bit about, and I think this is a good point to talk about unions uh, and the history of the unions a little bit, but then where we are culturally today with unions. And obviously right now there's an auto strike, I think happening and there's, you know, the writers for Hollywood and movies and all that strike going on. So there's a lot of union stuff that still plays a big role culturally in our society. So I do want to touch on that and how and why that's still relevant and how we need to still be cognizant of the impacts that that can have culturally and then trying to manage that piece of it. So Vince, I'll bring that to you because I know that's kind of one of your areas of expertise. Hey, well, before we before we move forward, I have an observation that I want to share. Sure, absolutely. Share it I'm sitting here, you know, listening to you guys. You're you're kicking around a lot of good stuff, and something popped in my head all of a sudden, and I'm like, obviously, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. Um, on a few levels, we you know, I've been in restauranting, we've done tech. You know, Brian, you and I had a company. Um, we're looking at maybe having another company. Um, but one of the things that I thought about was, you know, we talk, we fall back on the culture side of things. The culture that I came out of um, was a culture of my folks were, I always say that when people ask me to describe my family, I said, I came out of a culture of uh, school teachers and government workers, right? Obviously the wild card is uh, I have a, a famous writer in my family, but for me, obviously, so I was on that track of, you know, you would, you know, coming out of the, being a child of the seventies, you know, you were, you were looking for that factory job or that situation that, that bit of comfort, you know, back then, you know, it was good. You know, we talk about the union here for a second, but you know, you came out of that. Well, I got to, you know, I'm from Ohio. So, you know, the whole thing was to find a union job, get cushy in there. And then, you know, you, you know, you know, you know, unless you screw it up, you can get paid for the next 35, 40 years, hopefully. Um, so my, you know, my entrepreneur, my, my entrepreneurial spirit was born after that, because basically the union for, for myself as a young person, I tried that route. I did try it. Don't get me wrong. Cause that's, you know, that's what I was, that's the cloth I was cut from, but they, I got rejected. And I look back on that. I remember I went to work for a Kroger, you know, Kroger, uh, Kroger mm-hmm. grocery stores. Grocery stores yeah. I went to work for them. And uh, like I said, the whole plan was to get in there and get in the union. And, you know, it's just gravy at that point. Right. Uh, well, they rejected me. And I, as I thought about it, as I moved forward in my life and I, I look back and I laugh and I was like, well, they rejected me because I don't think that they thought that they could control me. And that's really what, you know, at the end of the day, that's what happens where, you know, when, when you're in those type of situations, because they realize if once you get in, it's really hard to get you out, you know, unless you put yourself out. And um, so I remember after the Kroger incident, I actually went to work for Dayton Tire and Rubber Company, another union shop. And so I played a little more, I, I like to say I played ball with them a little bit more better than I played ball with the Kroger folks. And I remember after, cause it's a 30 day type of deal, you go through your 30 days and then either, they, they either give you the thumb up or the thumb down. <laughs> and uh, I remember like it was yesterday, the guy said to me, and this is how they talk back, you know, back home. I mean, I would not allow somebody to call me a boy today, but he said, and he said it, you know, it was kind of from a, I don't think it was a malicious being called a boy from this particular individual is like, he said, well, boy, we're going to let you in. <laughs> <laughs> You're in with us now. 
<laughs> cool, mission accomplished. You know, I didn't think anything about it. I just knew I was going to be able to get, you know, my checks were going to, as long as I showed up, my checks were going to be uninterrupted. So, <laughs> but it was the funniest thing to have those two experiences, you know, the one where I got rejected and the other one I got accepted. Uh, but like I said, clearly, I had other, you know, there were other things brewing inside of me. Um, and I believe you, I, you know, I, I met you, Brian, through corporate America. We, you know, I've done my dalliance in corporate America. I got a lot of years under my belt. But clearly there was something else that was brewing inside of me that really sent me down this entrepreneurial track. So it was, uh, I was confused for a while. I'll be honest with you. You know, I struggled with all of that. Uh, well. I kind of wonder if it's confusion or more clarity, because when you think about your first experience to your second one, you know, did you and your mindset and perspective change based on being rejected from the first one to then evolve and be like, okay, you know what, I, I can make this work. I got to give this a fighting chance. You know, what was it in your in your ethos and your mindset, um, or did you stay consistent across the whole board, saying the Kroger family just wasn't a good fit for you? Mm -hmm. Well, probably at the end of the day, it wasn't. I mean, I wasn't interested. I mean, as, as much as the fact that I, at a certain point in time in my career, I segued into the restaurant again, the Kroger business was food, was theoretically food. Um, I just don't think I, I think the overall makeup of it all is what uh, I think as much as they rejected me, I think I rejected them. If you, mm -hmm. if you, if you're, if we're being, you know, if you're looking at it from both sides of the fence, um, I just think that whatever they, whatever cult, because here we go back to culture. Mm -hmm. So they were trying to impart their culture on me. And I guess at the end of the day, I was like, mm, I don't know if this culture is for me, but at, at 18 or 19 years old, what do you actually know? You know <laughs> I mean, if I'm being, if we're being honest, what did I know as an 18 or 19 year old? Um, and I see, you know, we see that play out every day in 18, 19 and 20 years old, 20 year olds. And their, you know, rebellious nature, um, um, even the, nat the nature of being curious as young people, because we were all curious as young people. I'm still curious, okay? <laughs> uh, but that whole, that whole dynamic and how that plays out, um, and it really boils down to is what, what did your folks give you? What did your ancestors give you? What kind of processes did they give you? Um, you know, like I said, coming out of a, school teacher, government worker, you know, environment, uh, even down to how I talk. Now, I, mm -hmm. I've talked, it's funny, I've talked like this in my entire life because I, I was pretty much shaped like clay. You know, we didn't talk slang in my house. It was, you know, you, the conversation stopped when slang got on the table. I mean, it would just come to a screeching halt. What did you say? <laughs> And after a while, you understood when that, what did you say came out, clean it up pretty quick. Let's clean up, clean up the verbiage and, 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 and appease those people and move and, and keep it moving. Yeah. yeah. So that's a, that's a culture onto itself, right? Yes. So that's exactly what we're talking about. So, and that's why we go back to where we started with this talk of defining culture. Uh, it could be culture within your home unit too, because your home unit establishes 
some, a certain culture as well. And because I can relate to that 1000% because slang, I mean, if I said ain't in my house, I, I, the stares I got from my mother or my grandmother were like, what ain't? That's not even in a dictionary, which back then it wasn't, right? So right. you can't use that word. I mean, so it, it, it was, you were quickly corrected on those things. So like you said, being shaped like, uh, you know, molded like clay, absolutely. Uh, is, is was part of the culture as far as how we were raised in. Even uh, down so that's to a piece your, of it too. Your, how were your the culture and Vinny? You know, we talked about this too. How there needs to be or there is an alignment uh, between your values and the culture that gets established. That, right, and I think that's another important piece of it. Yeah, I think with um. Now that you mentioned it, we're talking about families. I don't know if I ever phrased that to my daughter that way in that it's a culture. Like, what is the culture around you? Like, if young people would really take some time out and not just think about their goals, but also how they want the environment around, who do they want their friends to be? Who do they want to be? What type of culture? When you walk into a room, what do you want people to recognize when they see you about who you are, like what culture are you bringing to every team you're on? What, because listening to you all, it, it kind of made me realize that culture is also something that's inside of us, like a soul, you know? So when we go out, people make assumptions based upon how we talk or what we have on or how we hold our, you know, if we sit up straight or if we slouch, what, is it about you that tells other people what your culture is? And I think as parents, I think all of us have kids, right? I'm here, everybody has kids. As parents, that's something that maybe we can phrase to our children and nieces and nephews and godchildren. You know, always, whenever you wake up and you exit your house, look at yourself before you walk out and say to yourself, what does my parents say about my culture and of who I am, not just my skin color or where I live, but what does it say about me? And I think in talking to you all, that's really the first time in my life that I've ever just got that of what culture could be, not just on the outside of what's going on, but in, internally. Let me jump in. So, Erica, it was interesting how I really started to look at culture from a macro perspective started with me looking at it from a micro perspective. And if you're familiar with it, you know, a lot of the different attachment theories mm -hmm. and defining, you know, are you anxious? Are you avoidant? Are you anxious avoidant? And of course, what we all want to be is secure. Mm -hmm. And the more you better understand your triggers, and what triggers you and why. And it's not about fixing them. It's about saying and, and sitting with it and saying, okay, I'm getting triggered. And how I define triggered is, you know, your mindset goes from one place to the other place. And it's a, it's a really wide gap and you have these feelings. And the more you start to just, just pause and see this trend of triggers, you start thinking, okay, you know, oh, maybe I got it from my, grandparents you know based on some of the different fears um some of the different stories they would share with you in terms of oh you know uh 
don't put your hand out the window because it could be, you know, chopped off by a car or something. I don't know. It's just, you know, it's all those little, those little things kind of seem to add up and influence your life. And then you start to wonder, okay, I am today as a result of all these little kind of, uh, you know, jibs or whatever. And the more you can understand that and the more you can say, okay, I'm, I don't, I don't like that about me, or I want to change that, or I want to improve that. Um, you know, it's, uh, I believe, I believe that where we are today, we have a lot of, um, people are yearning for more culture, a more inclusive culture. And, you know, when you were talking about unions and other things, at the end of the day, it all comes down to, you know, a familial or family organization. We all want to feel secure, safe, loved, and, and be loved. So, you know, defining that role within a union, whatever that is, a family union or what, or a, a, a work union, you know, that's, we, we all want to feel that someone's got our back and we've got someone else's back. And, you know, it's true though, because how does that evolve? Why is it today, bringing it back to what you're kind of going down, Brian, why is it today that more and more unions are kind of popping up? There's more conversation about it. It seems to be, you know, they're, they're making a comeback. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and culture makes you wonder what's happening. Is it the the threads behind the industries that are now starting to get, you know, tattered and pulled on so much that people need to have those organizations to feel secure, as you talked about and that type of thing. So my story with unions is different from Chris's, not that I haven't worked for organizations that have been union-based companies, but in my career, in my history, I've always been on the management side of union organizations. I've never actually been a union worker from, from, from that side of the fence. So I have always experienced it from the opposite side, you know, so now you've got, you know, it's like this us us against them type Mm -hmm. mentality, right. You know, what management wants or needs and what the quote unquote union worker wants or needs and how do we balance all of that out? And then, you know, what, again, is that culture like, is there some camaraderie and let's work this together or is it just totally contentious? 100% 100% of the time, you know, and, and different organizations culturally are structured in kind of one way or the other, usually. Uh, but there are times when there can be some cohesiveness between, quote unquote, the union house side of it and management side of, of things. And I think figuring that out culturally and uh, you as a leader, and obviously a lot of the people we, we're trying to relate to are the leaders out there. I feel, and again, just, you know, I, I get one vote um, that mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to culturally make it more cohesive. And even though you have different objectives that you want from one side or the other, try to have those objectives be working towards a common goal or a common mm-hmm. culture or however mm-hmm. you want to structure it, I think is important. Well, I want to transition then to what I think is the burning thing right now. And you, as you said, you just came from Burning Man, uh, which is was mm-hmm. an amazing experience for you. One of the, the, the big topics that I think is really happening culturally today and culturally both from as micro as the family to as, as macro as the world is uh, equity, inclusion, racial bias, 
um, in these all very big terms. Uh, obviously, LGBTQ and transgender, right? So all of that is is, is happening right now. And if you've been following the story, um, and I and I don't remember the uh, Middle Eastern country, but there's a Middle Eastern country right now where essentially historically in those areas women were to be covered you know and they could only show their face and, and these types of things and a few years back i guess uh, this woman decided you know what that's just not who i am i am trying to stand up for my liberties uh and big hubbub all around it but now it's gotten to a point where she's really created this movement within this country and they were showing some of the video traditionally of what it would have looked like in this country 40 years ago and then what it looks like people walking down the street today and you're just like that's a huge change and culturally and legally the government still said no you can't do it and these types of things but the women have taken it on to say no this is a movement we want these freedoms we want to be able to express ourselves in, in these particular ways so that's part of what we see i think as a trend of getting a feel for what is acceptable not acceptable what causes these undercurrents these subcultures as Vinny talks about a lot uh, of things so i'm gonna throw that on the table and and Benny, I know you have some things you want to share with that, and we'll, we'll go from there. You know, um, inclusivity is such an important piece as we have evolved our culture to ensure that all the different facets, especially those kind of cultures of minorities, uh, one have a have a voice. <laughs> uh, that voice is heard, and that voice is recognized, mm -hmm. and so. You know, it's interesting to see us as a society, and you brought up the hijab, you know, and the coverings. And when I when I think of that, I think of, well, I want to honor someone else's culture. But then, you know, honoring someone else's culture, and it might not necessarily be accepting it in the sense of like, okay, I I would, if I was in that culture, I would also keep those traditional you know, rules. But part of me also thinks about those individuals like, you know, women in those cultures and the fact that it's it's not about me and my decision or what I think, it's about what they want. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, going back to giving that voice and going back to, you know, times are changing and going back to, you know, how can we support everyone's, I guess it's a really interesting question. You know, I would ask Erica, Etc. too, it's like, you know, how do you define what is intrinsically tradition versus the why? Like, why is it, you know, I think from a lawyer's perspective, it's like, well, get back to the original intent of why this rule was made. And then, you know, of course, think about, well, you know, it, it could be a control thing, most likely. It could be a, a you know, a, well, you don't have the same rights as this individual because of these reasons. Um, and then I guess the question is, do we as a society, a culture say, okay, you know what, this is the right thing, or this is a good thing, or this is um, an acceptable thing? Yeah, I think in certain cultures, well, not certain, in, in the cases of tyrants, tyrants will use the government to oppress a group of people. Um, in certain societies, 
they would traditionally give the men of a particular household, um, they would have more influence on whether a woman wore a total covering of her face or partial or no covering at all. Usually in certain, in those certain cultures, men in the family, whoever was the head of the family would really say, uh, yeah, it's, that's fine. That's fine. Um, and women would monitor the way that they dress just out of modesty. And I think there's some governments that started going backwards and dictating to everyone the way that they should always look um, when they walk out the house. If I go, for example, to Dubai, I'm not going to wear a T-shirt that has my shoulders um, showing. I just I just won't. Um, or a, something that shows skin below the collarbone. Um, even if it's not showing breasts, just out of respect of where I am and um, the traditions there. Um, will I wear hair, hair covering? Not, no, not necessarily. If I go to an event and the host, is that's the way that they run things in their household, I'll be respectful as a guest um, of that family or you know that company. I always try to take into account how I'm making the other person feel and respecting the norms there. But lots of times the government, uh, people will use the government to oppress a group of people, whether it's women or um, uh, people who are gay or people who are just in other ways, maybe different than the ones who are in power. So we always just have to monitor that and make sure that we hold leaders accountable. And when they start becoming uh, or showing tyrant tendencies to go on and put that in check. Uh, before they take away your right to choose whether or not they stay in power. Mm. Excellent point. Excellent point. So one of the things that I'm hearing, obviously, is being respectful and and, and, and understanding the where you are and what, what the cultural tra traditions are of that particular area or region. Organization, as Chris was saying, you know, a while ago, that wasn't when it was Kroger's, it wasn't a cultural fit for who he was or what he thought it should be at that point in time. But that's a thought process, I think, that gets overlooked or missed a lot of the times is what understanding or taking the time to understand what it is about that culture, what is traditionally their history. How does that impact me or what decisions should I make based on knowing those different things? So it's an awareness piece, right? I think there's, there's a big part of it that's just simple awareness. But I want to also then bring into it, uh, let's talk about values, because obviously each one of us individually is going to have, based on our histories and things like that, our, our set of values, morals, and those types of things. And then we look at it and say, is that something that's an affront to my sense of values or something that I agree with for my sense of value? So I will roll with that. How do you think that plays into uh, when we start talking about equity, inclusion, uh, and all of those things, racial bias, and the many things that from a value standpoint play in. And then let me further define my question. And I want to hit each one of you kind of give your perspective on this. Let's say I am a small business owner, uh, small, five, 10 people, you know, so small shop. And obviously, I have my certain set of values that I was raised with, et cetera, et cetera. Is there an obligation culturally for me to make sure that I include different races of different backgrounds, uh, LGBTQ, all of those things within my organization 
even though value wise, I disagree with some of those things. So, but so the um, maybe there's some legal ramifications there, but a small company, maybe not. But I'm just curious, how do you see that from a what I'm obligated to do as a small business person in those particular areas? Because my value is, you know, I was raised this way, and you don't do this, and you know, a man marries a woman, and just whatever else you want to put into that. Uh, what are some of your thoughts as, along those lines, and who, who would like to go first? I'll start. Okay. So the first thing I thought of when you said that was when I just I turned the clock back to when I was a young man. We back, let's go back to the Kroger thing. There was a time when we were excluded from a lot of things. It's just it was just the the, the natural world order, the way things worked back then. Um, so there was you you know that I mean, uh, Erica Brian. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say Vinny probably you to a lesser extent because our experience is a little bit different than your experience, but the the reality was we were you know we were that we were that group that were we were trying we were knocking on the door we've been you know we were trying to get in, and there was a lot of rejection along the way. Trust me, I've been rejected I've been rejected more than I've been accepted, but it is that has made me the person that I am today. So now you segue forward. And you asked the question when we're it's our organization, what what are we doing? Well, you know what? Um, if I wanted to take the easy route, then you cherry pick. So I'm cherry picking the people that I'm comfortable with, that I feel like I can can make a part of my culture. I feel like I can share my inherent beliefs, value systems, rules, processes, whatever, so far and so on. But the reality is the way I'm built, the way I've been built over the course of, of my life on this planet is that I've, you know, I've gravitated to wanting to include as many people as possible. There was a time and I, I laugh about this sometimes because to me, it's it's not funny, but it is my reality is I remember my first transgender friend. Now, we've all had gay friends along the way, believe me, back from junior high school or back to high school uh, you know it, they you know they weren't coming out as much then but um but as i grew and i and i i actually looked at myself as like i'm the one that's been excluded my entire life why am i going to turn around and join that group of people that group of organizations that exclude people so i look for reasons to be able to include people now what mm -hmm. that requires is is an adjustment on your part so you have to you have to you, because it, all these things that we are are inherent so they've been they've been born grown and and uh and uh, uh made to you know made to become a part a prominent part of who we are mm -hmm. so you have to kind of actually when so in other words i'm doing the interview process and you got he or she walks in or or however they you know i, I i'm not even on board on all, all the terminology today i can't i can't do it right now i'm, I'm accepted but I, I don't know all that stuff. I have so many other things I need to think about and, and, and try to work on. And I just can't put a lot of time into that today. So, but the fact, excuse me, the fact of the matter is now when each person, and you know the difference. So, I mean, so this person walks in and you're like, okay, I know they're marketably different from what I know, you know, or what I've, maybe, maybe I just haven't ever experienced this type of person. So what I'm trying to do is figure out ways to include them as opposed to 
the the old way was let's figure out how we can exclude them quickly you know that's that's the whole that's the way it was let's figure out how to knock them out because they're different well now I, I come into my mindset when i come into it is you see the difference right out of the gates five minutes from having a conversation with this world you know that they're different so i'm trying to look for the 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 uh the attributes that will allow me to include them how and then you have you, you have to kind of do a deep dive into your own mind and say how can i make this work because there's a part of me that knows what it's like to be the interloper the outsider and i don't want to be i don't want to be that guy i don't want to be the guy that proper that uh that that keeps promoting that type of behavior in our society so the theory for me is i want to leave it better than i found it so i'm a builder i've been th this has been it's been in my mind since we got on this morning you know you know when i talk about cultures i want to build cultures mm -hmm. and i want to build cultures that are unique in their perspective that they're well represented across the board that's important to me i'm going to tell you right now that is important to me uh i get up every day and that's how my mind works you know when i'm interacting with all these different with all these different types of people because that's what we got today um I'm, I'm on a little bit of a rant but let me finish um we used to have these defined groups that we used to hang with you know it was either you know all black people or all asian people or all white people so we kind of kept to ourselves well we're in a we're in a whole different ball game now because we all mix i mean if you look we were talking about that yesterday in our meeting that we had we have all these subgroups that have been spawned out of our initial groups and I actually look to that. I look forward to it. I mean, I get excited when I get to go into a room and and I look up and there's maybe only two of my kind in there and, and there's a bunch of different other folks. I'm my curiosity, my, I mean, my antennas are up and and you know, I'm all tingly and I'm ready to go. Um Vinny held me hostage yesterday. <laughs> but he held me I was a willing participant. Let's be clear on that. <laughs> But he had someone that he was going to meet with that I, through our conversation yesterday in our initial meeting that we had, I found, I, I found myself curious and I wanted to attend that meeting. So I basically trashed my whole day to go hang out with him so I could meet this other person, which I was really happy that I did. You know, I was really, really excited. You know, totally different guy. I know he's got some totally different things that he can bring to the table. But, but I, the conversation I had with that person I, it was it was amazing the perspective that I got. Yeah, excellent. That's right, what I look for. I, that's what I look for a lot of times is can you give me some perspective that's not the perspective that I already that have? I have absolutely absolutely. Eric, that's I'm going to come to you next, but I want to mm -hmm. unpack something that Chris brought up and and what he was saying there. And Chris, one of the things I think he was saying I really kind of gravitated to was you know figure out how to include versus how to exclude. And I think that that is a mindset, though. That is that is a personal mindset. That is something you you have to consciously make an, an effort to have that happen. But I think that's a great way to look at it. Mm -hmm. The other word that that came into it was diversity, and one of the things that I believe gets overlooked with diversity is how valuable it can be, as you were just saying, Chris, to get <laughs> those other perspectives. Because mm -hmm. if you only have people like you who had life experiences like yours, 
there's so much you're leaving on the table, right? Because you're not, you're not getting those diverse perspectives. So I think that's a key component. So Eric, I want to see what your thoughts are, because I, I know just based on uh, the swim lane that you're in, culturally, what you've established where you are, and then obviously some family history, that I'm sure there's a lot of pieces that uh, revolve around this. Yeah, sure. Um, when Chris was talking, it really reminded me of some of the lessons that I just teach in Sunday school to the kids, right? If you look back at the lessons you learned uh, when you're a kid in the Bible, it, we always had a lesson about somebody that was different, whether it's Daniel or whether it's Noah or or um, Jacob or Joseph, somebody that, or David, somebody that doesn't quite fit what people were expecting to be the leader of the time. But mm -hmm. what ended up happening is that person, those people had a particular skill set that added to the lives of the leaders in which they were under at the time. So mm -hmm. they all brought something new that the community didn't recognize that they needed. So just like Chris was saying, you look for people that have things to add, different perspectives, because you might have a dream and you don't know how to connect the dots, right? And everybody else around you has the same kind of thought pattern that you have, but you meet somebody that's grown up someplace different. Maybe you're Muslim and they're Christian, or maybe you're you know, an Egyptian Pharaoh and this person's a Hebrew who was sold by his brothers into slavery into your country. And you have them down in some prison, but he interprets dreams. Mm -hmm. Do you not want your dream interpreted because he's a Hebrew in your prison? Or are you going to tell somebody to go and get the part that the Hebrew dream interpreter <laughs> so that you can take whatever your your position is to the next level? And mm -hmm. that kind of is I'm taking that exactly as what Chris is explaining. You want to look for people who have things to add that you don't have and the people that are around you don't have either. And don't be so stupid as to think that because someone is different, that they can't have something to teach you. Absolutely, 100%. Erica, thanks for sharing that. Vince, what about you? I, I know you have a, a thousand things, but let's, let's get into it. You know, it, it's interesting. Um, I've been realizing at least in the last two decades that, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for the fact that I grew up and moved internationally pretty much most of my life. And it's, it's that, it's that exposure. And when you folks were talking about looking at different people or different perspectives or, or what's different about us, you know, uh, for me, food was always the big connector. Uh, you know, uh, some people would say, you know, they call them foodies or whatnot. And I just have a general appreciation for different types of palates and different types of flavors and, and experiences. So I remember fondly growing up in these international schools and we would have international you know, day and all the parents would kind of bring or make, you know, different cuisines or different snacks or different things. And for me, that was always a really fun kind of event because, you know, I might not completely know or understand an individual's culture based on, you know, the, the, the garments they wear or the rituals um, or different types of practices they have. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, uh, you know, we think about the different 
brains we have, you know, our, our, our brain brain, you know, our, our, our emotional brain. And then, you know, very few of us really talk about it, but it's a growing movement around our gut brain. Mm. And, you know, to me, if you're, if you're, if you're, you're satiated, you're satisfied, you've eaten a really, you know, amazing, you know, let's just say healthy or a, a great meal, and you're surrounded by, you know, people that you might not know, you're feeling pretty good. And you're feeling like, okay, and it's, it's almost like I can be more vulnerable because, you know, something very major part of me. And I think about, you know, when there's times where I'm, I'm hangry, you know, when I'm hangry, I'm just, you know, I can't think. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I really believe, you know, the more we have in breaking bread, you know, the more we do in terms of uh, connecting people, traveling, oh my goodness, like just travel and have that general, you know, spark of curiosity to understand pe different people and, um, you know, start somewhere, whether it's starting and looking at museums or, uh, or, or restaurants in my case, like I, I actively look at different restaurants and I mark them on my Google maps. I'm like, oh, when I'm in the vicinity of a different area, I'm like, I'm going to go there. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting um, because I, I look at that and what I taken away from what you guys have shared so far um, is this. Obviously, we all are going to have certain biases based on our values and how we were raised. And as you said, the culture of our home and mm -hmm. what our parents and grandparents and et cetera instilled in us. Uh, but the overarching message that I'm hearing, though, is that we need to figure out how to to maybe dial that back, at least from the standpoint of judgment, you know, and, and, and right. Um, and to say, you know, if I can dial that back from judging the other person, judging that other situation, whatever it might be, to just truly look at the essence and the core of who that person is, or what that movement's about, or whatever else, and not place all of that judgment on it to look for, as Chris said, what are the things that are good in it? What what can I do to be part of or to include it either in my life or vice versa, right? Uh, so I think that's a key piece. And that's what I really took out of this is, you know, to, to open my eyes to say, okay, get away from that judgment piece and, and look beyond that for the other pieces and parts that I think are, are probably more relevant. Uh, especially when you talk about, you know, being inclusive and being fair and equitable. And uh, as we mentioned, diversity, uh, all of that, I think, is really relevant. Uh, so that's the part that has me kind of sitting back now going, wow, you know, that that judgment piece and, and what to do with that. Because you have but, to remember what hundreds of years ago, you know, people traded. People were in the trade industry. They didn't go, oh, these people are Christian over here. So we're Muslim. We're not going to go and trade something with them. They traded. We're all interconnected. Correct. So the idea now that, oh, I'm not going to do provide this service to this particular group of people, we can say, oh, yeah, you know, it's based up on your value. But I tell you what, hundreds of years ago, Christians would still go and sell. You know, Muslims would still, still trade with people who believe differently. Mm -hmm. um, of course, I don't, I don't know if they had any moral qualms about it, but they did it. Mm -hmm. So what people are experiencing now, the decisions that people are making in businesses now, it's not anything new. And, you know, the world keeps running. So if 
there's certain laws in certain locales, but you know, if you don't want to provide a service to someone because of a bias that you have, you're really doing, I, I think in most cases, a disservice to yourself because you're missing out on an opportunity to learn from them and to and from uh, allowing them to be around you to learn from you. So inclusiveness is is very, very important. Yeah, agree 100%. So I want to throw something else out there too. Um, Vince mentioned, you know, the ability to travel and, and live in different places and cultures around the world. And I think that's another important enlightenment piece. And, you know, not everyone gets that opportunity, but I highly encourage everyone if they get an opportunity to, to travel, especially internationally, to, to do it. Um, and there's a, and a, it's a quote that I read and I don't remember the exact verbiage of it, but basically what it was saying was a man can never dip his toe in the same river water twice. And you go, well, what does that mean? And then it breaks it down to basically say it's a river, so it's flowing. So the water you dipped in before has moved on a, and then B whoever you are as an individual from the time you dipped your toe in the first time, you are now a different person. Even if it's just the experience that of doing it the first time, the experiences of, of doing it the second time is now filtered through the experience of it happening the first time. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So you have changed, even if it's moments later, right? So it's a very interesting thought process when you think about that. And, and that's kind of the ebb and flow of life uh, and, and being more open and accepting to understanding that things are always evolving and changing and growing and moving in different directions. So unstick yourself, basically, I guess <laughs> is the message. And be more open to realize that it doesn't always have to just be this way. You can shift, change, grow, evolve, experience more, uh, be more diverse, have less judgment, on, on and on and on and on and on. So from my chair, that's kind of my, I guess, final thoughts of what can I do as an individual to help myself uh, understand and appreciate culture and cultures better and to build better cultures. Um, but then also, what can I start to push into the universe to help the universe itself be a better culture. And so that that's kind of my takeaway. And I, I guess I would say my final thoughts. What about you guys? What who has final thoughts and you know kind of a summary of, of where we've been today? Like I said, we and, and I'll reference back to yesterday's I'm, I'm sorry you weren't in you weren't in the meeting yesterday, Erica, uh, <laughs> with these three guys. But we were talking about we talked about a lot of things and and one of the things that kind of stuck with me that Brian said yesterday was the idea of um reinvention. So when he said that yesterday, and I don't remember what con what the context of it was, but I immediately thought in my mind um, because I've this these last I don't know one and a half to two almost two years have been it's been a lot of peaks and valleys for me. I've been in the valley more than I've been on you know been up on up on the the, the mountaintops, um, and through all this process, I mean I've had some you know, some some trauma I've dealt with. I've had some loss. Um, so far and so on everything that goes along with that but through all this um i stuck i stayed the, I, I stayed the course to my principles and what my beliefs are what my dreams are and what i really want i was at that's what i think a lot of people do when they what i thought a lot of people don't do is they don't when, when they when things aren't going well they tend to abandon the things that they really really want 
out of life. You know, your core things that you're looking for. I've got core things I'm looking for. Um, and what I found through this process was, because it's always, a, you know, I, 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 I ascribe to the theory that I can learn something new every day I wake up. And that's why I interact with a lot of so many different people because I'm, 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 on, a, I'm on a knowledge hunt. <laughs> but what I got, what I walked away from yesterday was I am in this period of reinvention. I am starting to really like who this version of me is, which I think is a, a big key in your everyday existence. Can do you have the ability to look in the mirror and say, you know what, I like this guy today, or you know what, how you behaved yesterday, I don't, I didn't like that guy yesterday, and things that, and, and being able to, um, um, what's the word I want to use to be able to uh, self-assess um, where you are in your life, and to keep try to keep it keep it fresh and keep it moving and keep it evolving. And that's been a big thing for me. And I and I and here's the here's the kind of uh, the ironic part of it. I really, really focused in on that. You know, we were talking about that yesterday, how technically and I always say that people are like technically, technically, I haven't worked in a year. Not, you know, what I mean, like really every day worked. I got stuff going on. So it's not like I'm not, I, you know, but I've allowed it to come to me as opposed to me going out and, and hunter gather type situation. Mm -hmm. But what I've done in that, in that time frame is I've worked on my mental fitness. We were talking mm -hmm. about that yesterday also. And I think mental fitness is a big part of uh, just the whole culture picture as a whole too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a time when people didn't talk like that. We didn't talk about our mental fitness, our mental, mm -hmm. you know, mental health and things of that nature. Well, I've leaned 100% into that because it, I've, I've come to realize that my mental fitness is a huge part of any successes I'm going to have in my life across the board, not just professionally, but as a, as a human being, as a person, as a contributor to this society that we find ourselves in. Mm -hmm. And I don't take that lightly. I think this is, it, I think it's, I actually think it's everybody's duty, but I don't think a lot of people put a lot of time into that. Mm. Well, I'm going to be one of those kind of guys and I'm going to put that time in because it's not that I can change the masses. I, my goal is to affect a few. And I think if everybody took on that position that they want to affect a few, mm -hmm. then I think that we, we can evict, we can, ev we can effect evoke change on a, on a grand scale but it starts small and it starts in your own, you know, your own backyard in your own little uh, domicile or, or whatever it is you, you know, you know, where you, where you had out and hang out. But I have gotten to the point where that is something that's very big with me. And that's a part of it. That's in part of that idea with the, of the being inclusive of folks. You know what I mean? That, that calls for you to take risks that calls for you to be vulnerable. Um, it calls for you to take a chance. And, you know, sometimes, you know, a lot of you're going to find a lot of times it works out. Occasionally it does not. But don't let that be the reason you stop doing it. You know what I mean? So. Um, so, yeah, I'm 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 owning that today. Excellent. That's what I'm sharing. Chris. Yeah. Erica, what about you? I know uh, we've talked a little bit about this offline, but how about you share a little bit about just final thoughts and yeah. you know, what you're taking away from today? Sure. The uh, culture, of course, is internal and external. 
But one of the things that I'm hoping that people will take away is to take time to reflect on the culture that's within themselves and the culture that's within their homes. And like Chris said, the, the few people that are around you, we're all trying to, well, we see people all the time, see, trying to make big things happen on, in the exterior world to all these other people, but making an impact and being inclusive inside of our own homes and with inside of our own small friend groups can make the biggest impact because we can help other individuals close to us be fueled up so that they can go out and be a blessing. But like Chris also said, when it comes to the mental aspect, it's hard to make an impact on those two, three, four, five people if first we don't make an impact on ourselves and take out that time to mentally be in a good space. And in order to be there for our loved ones or those two, three, four, five friends we want to touch, we have to make sure that we insist that we get the space to take care of ourselves. That's that's a non-negotiable. If you want to really impact culture, you have to take care of yourself first. Take care of your internal culture before you worry about making an impact on anything or anybody else. Because if you don't, it's just going to be toxic. The internal culture is the work everybody has to do first if they want to really make a difference. So that's 100%. my take on it. Thank you for sharing. That's excellent because you are so right. Um, that self-awareness, self-accountability uh, piece of it is is just so deep. And as Chris mentioned, your your, your, your mental fitness uh, and understanding where that is and what what uh, Vince used the term triggers are and and different things and just all of that and, and being able to start to compartmentalize that for yourself so that you can be overall healthier happier, more connected, uh, all of that is very, very important. So Vince, how about you? How about you wrap it up for us today? It's funny, as you folks were talking about being kinder to oneself, uh, I start thinking about, you know, a lot of, I would say a lot of our own internal struggles are thinking that we should be here or there, or thinking we should be, you know, doing this or this success is what we are trying to strive for. So. I would say the majority of times that I've found myself not being kind to myself is just, you know, um, you're, you're tying something based on comparing yourself with others. And, you know, that that keeping up with the Joneses, that, um, you know, expecting you're going to be, you know, making this much money or, or, or doing these things, that's a really tough one. And, you know, also coming back to, when I think of, there's a really great book called Give and Take. And I, I feel like a lot of us are givers where we appreciate, enjoy sharing information and supporting others. And there's a really interesting kind of psychology around givers where they feel guilty and ashamed by taking time for themselves. And it's, it's interesting to think about, you know, if you don't take time for yourself, like Eric was mentioning, you know, that's when you burn out. That's when you just feel frazzled and then you're no good to anyone. Like I, I would fondly tell my kids that if I don't work out, I'm just, 
I'm just not a nice person, you know, it's because I've all this energy and all this frustration. I didn't need to take time for myself too. And, and it's beyond just doing that. It's, it's also, you know, going off and taking a long walk or, or being in your, your meditative state or whatnot. So, you know, as, as a lot of the folks talk about, you know, using meditation and other things to help center yourself again, I think as I grow older and as I move on, definitely, you know, those those sagely words of wisdom are even hold more truth today and in the future than ever before. Yeah, absolutely. Well, folks, this has been amazing. I really appreciate all of you getting up and, and joining and, and sharing your thoughts and comments. Again, culture, as I think we've kind of learned today, and that's why and I'll go back to the beginning of this and you were defining what culture is because I think people do lose sight of how broad that word is. And, and as Erica was talking about, you know, she didn't even ever think about, you know, what's the internal culture like, you know, and, and whether it's internal to you as an individual or even just the family unit, right? Because there is a, a culture that's established there. We tend to always want to make it, you know, macro versus, you know, being really well, well defined in, in, in those, those small spaces, but, the thing Erica was just saying a moment ago, as far as it, I think it really is in those small spaces that it comes out from. It's not the other way around, right? And we are so influenced today by social media and this and that, which is the, the, the global view of what culture is supposed to look like. And this is what your lifestyle is supposed to look like and, and all of those things. And I think what we've learn today and just our, our discussion is we probably really need to flip that around and really start to look you know the 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 view of just what is it for me as an individual what it is for me as my family unit then what how does that then translate into my business if i'm a business owner or my job is if i'm an employee or if i'm a leader you know how does that all play into it and scale it from the small up versus from the grand picture down is, is probably one of the biggest takeaways for me today. So I want to thank all of you because that really is, I think, a great message that our audience can resonate with and, and really start to, to take a couple of steps back before they just jump and start to move forward. So very valuable, very valuable. So I want to thank everyone. Uh, get out, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Uh, we're going to have a new, another session next Saturday. So uh, we're going to actually dive more into talking about um, mental fitness and some other things. So that's going to kind of be the topic for next week. But until then, everyone take care, take care of each other, and uh, we'll see you guys soon.